Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our youth pastor, Joshua Scheidler. Hey church, how you guys doing? Uh, my name is Joshua. I'm the youth pastor here at Calvary. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, uh, I have the blessing and the privilege today to preach for, for Nate, who I believe after just a long season and just all the recordings and all the preaching before Christmas is sitting at home in his pajamas today, which I am so glad that he is. Nate, I love you, man. I'm so glad that you get a day off. Uh, and so I get to come up here and preach. It's rare that the youth pastor gets to sit and, or to stand at this pulpit, but I always take it as such um, just an honor. And I'm just humble that I get to preach the word to you, uh, just our church today. And so uh, just while we're getting started, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 today. Um, as you can see, uh, as you're turning there, I have a mug sitting out here um, that I don't know if you can see it or not, but it's even though we're entering into a new year, this is a relic from the old days. Um, the, the original Calvary momentum, the original Calvary dove. Uh, I had to put this mug up here just because, yeah, we are entering into a new year. Uh, this is the last Sunday of 2020. Can you believe that? But, you know, I always like to remember kind of where we came from and what the Lord has done uh, in our past and with men and women of faith before us. And so I had to pick this mug because actually my journey in the ministry started at where this mug originates, um, which is a potter's field ministry. You either know about it or you don't. It's okay. Um, but it was just a man and his wife that traveled around calling people to ministry and calling people to faith. Um, and so, yeah, just the story about the mug. Uh, anyway, so we're going to be going into Ephesians chapter six today. The title of today's message is the battle we all know is there. The battle that we all know is there. Um, I picked this message. I picked this scripture. I felt the Lord lead me in it because in all honesty, 2020 has been a hard year. Um, and it's been a difficult year. It's been an uncertain year. Um, and so I wanted to pick a verse that challenges us and kind of brings us to a place of really common ground uh, in our faith and in our walk with Jesus. And so hopefully you're there by now. Ephesians 6 verse 10 through 20. We're going to read through those 10 verses and then see what the Lord has for us today. So verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Pray with me, church. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for using a man like Paul. We thank you for him writing a letter like the, like the letter to the Ephesian church that we 2,000 years later, God can glean from. Thank you for the power in this scripture. Thank you for the, the warning and the encouragement to us today. Father, you are a good God. We don't enter into this teaching today with timid hearts or, or a, a sense of fear, but we enter into your scripture today, Lord, with open hearts and open minds. Lord, asking your spirit to enter in, to convict us, to move us, to shape us, to help us be more, to, to pursue you more after a teaching like this. God, I thank you so much for just your power. I thank you so much for using us in such amazing ways, Lord. God, as we enter into your scripture today, God, I pray that you would look past my inadequacies, my failures as a man, God, and that you would preach, you would, you would be the one speaking, Jesus. Just thank you so much for this church. Thank you for what you're doing here. Bless whoever's hearing this service today, God. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so in reading this text and trying to grasp what Paul wanted to communicate to the, the Christians in Ephesus and to us, I want to first build a solid foundation. So reading a text like that, it can, it can be foreign to some of us as Christians. But see, what it can do is also bring us together in this kind of solid and this, this firm foundation together saying, okay, we're all in this together. Really a foundation that puts us all on the same page. Because I believe that this year has shaken and changed each of us in different ways and in different capacities. Whether it was a global pandemic, intense and divisive politics, the ultimate injustice we see and feel in a broken world, or even the uncertainty of tomorrow, 2021 is coming, and yet we don't even know what that means. Many of you have felt and seen even the constant tension and the pull from a growing secular society to let go of your biblical and Christian theology. Wherever you find yourself this morning listening to this, this teaching, wherever you find yourself in, in your life, whatever type of hot issues you land on or wherever your priorities are, I believe the text in, in Ephesians chapter six shows the spiritual battle that binds us as Christians together. Paul shows us that we as believers of Jesus have a common enemy, not just an enemy, like a physical enemy, but an enemy that has the sole purpose of absolute destruction, not just destroying us physically, but destroying us spiritually. An enemy that wants to dehumanize us and deconstruct God's fundamental plans for you and I. This notion of an eternal or eternal enemy that's literally hell-bent on destroying humanity should place on every one of our hearts and minds the reality that there is so much more happening around us than what we are experiencing in this physical world today. The fact is, no matter how crazy 2020 was, and no matter what 2021 brings, you and I as followers of Jesus are in a spiritual battle for the eternal souls of those around us. We must see reality for what it is and understand that every human you and I encounter has an everlasting soul that will one day pass from this life. And once their time has been done here on earth, once God takes them from this place, they either enter into heaven and rest with their savior, Jesus, or into a place called hell, a place that is devoid of all that is of the goodness and character of God. This text in Ephesians is one that should be a call to arms for every Christian that claims the name of their savior, Jesus. This scripture should convict all of us and put an urgency in our hearts about the world that we live in today. In the midst of this battle that we see here, Paul writing to the Ephesians and even to us 2000 years later, we have a beautiful truth within that. And I want to also build this into the foundation of this, of this scripture and this teaching. 
The beautiful truth is that being a follower of Jesus in this battle is, is that Jesus has already won the war. He has conquered the great enemy of creation, the devil. He has made a way for all mankind to be saved from sin and death. He offers salvation freely to anyone who desires it. He allows us to be a part of the work of leading those around us to the saving power of Jesus. That is a beautiful truth. And that's the beauty of this, of this battle that Paul lays out for us is that our savior Jesus has already won. Now, as we open up this and we kind of dissect these 10 verses, let's see how Paul encourages us as Christians today to be about this work and be about this battle. So from verses 10 and 11, as we enter into these first couple of verses, it comes my first point, understanding the spiritual nature of our strength, the armor of God and the battle every believer of Jesus is in. So understanding that this is a spiritual battle, that the strength that we need from, that, that we receive from the Lord is spiritual in, in essence, in nature, and that even every believer that's in this is not only physically in it, but spiritually in it. Paul says there in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We must understand that any strength or power we have in holding fast in this battle comes from the Lord. That has to be fundamental. That has to be just something that is tattooed on our hearts and minds is that any strength that we have comes from the Lord. Ephesians 3 verse 16 says earlier in this letter uh, the, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, this is something that we, we kind of pass over today. We don't meditate a lot on as Christians. Um, the power that we receive from the Lord, the, 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 the might, the, the strength that we receive in our inner being and in our spirit. Right? The this, this spirit that lives within us, the, the spirit of God that is moving and changing and shaping us. And we, we don't meditate on the true potency, the true power, the true just explosiveness that the Holy Spirit can give us as Christians. The fact is that it is a power that rivals anything else you're going to experience in this life. I guarantee it. And if you are a Christian that's walked in the spirit before and you've been led in the spirit and you've, you've witnessed to somebody or, or you've shared the gospel or you've shared your testimony, you've seen someone come to Christ and you know it wasn't your work, but the working of the spirit through you, you understand that power and you understand how potent and just absolute amazing it is. It is a might that can withstand any catastrophe that the, the world or this life can throw at you. And what I mean by that is that you can continue to be strong and, and be strengthened through just the hardships, the catastrophe of life. Also, it is a strength that is supplied to us as we daily seek and serve God. It's supplied to us each and every day as we bow our hearts and our knees before the Lord. See, Christians, as we enter into this battle, we build this foundation. As we look at, as Paul says, first off, to be strong. I, I think in every Christian, there's a heart, there's a desire to want to see change, to want to see healing, to see justice, to see the uncertainties of life um, bring actual peace to people. We want to see that, but unless you and I are walking in the strength of that spirit, there will be no lasting change. There won't be any real spiritual healing. There won't be any real justice um, in this life unless we as Christians are walking in that spirit and in really going into that battle through that spirit. Paul continues by saying, put on the whole armor of God. Now, I know this text is, is kind of centered on that. We will hit on the armor of God, but really what I want to start off, the foundation of the armor of God is more than those, those pieces that Paul puts together from looking at a Roman soldier that he was tied to or chained to during the writing of this. It's more than that. And I think it starts first and foremost and plainly and simply with covering ourselves with the grace and the redemption of Jesus. 
I think it starts with that. We can look at the armor of God and all those pieces and they all, they all are pieces that, that we, could, we should apply to our lives each and every day. But if it doesn't start with you and I as Christians applying and putting on the grace and redemption of Jesus, then we're, we're in a sense putting the cart before the horse. We're, we're not entering into that battle fully equipped with first and foremost being covered with Jesus. And this all kind of equates to seeing ourselves as a wanted, cherished, love, and chosen son or daughter of God. No longer does God see you as a sinful and broken human, but as a redeemed, forgiven, and adopted child. This is your position with God now. The foundation of the armor, you guys, is the covering and the sacrifice of Jesus. So when God looks upon you, he does not see the shame, the brokenness, the pains. He doesn't see what you were, but he looks at you in forgiveness. He looks at you as he sees his son whole and redeemed. See, that should empower you alone without even touching any other of the armors of God. That right there, that right there should just embolden you that you are an adopted son or daughter of the Lord Almighty. How powerful, how cool is that? Paul continues, and now that we have an understanding of the foundation of this, he says that this armor, right, this armor that we're putting on, what is it for? And he says it's able to stand against the schemes of the devil, We put on this armor. We walk in the strength of the Lord. We put on Jesus, as it were, to withstand against the schemes of the devil. The purpose for wearing God's armor is to enable believers to stand against the strategies of the devil. I love to think of it as a strategy. This is a battle plan. We know our enemy has a strategy. Paul is exhorting believers to put on the full armor of God in order to stand firmly against the deceptive strategies of the devil. Paul uses a term, to stand right? The ability to stand, right? Against these strategies. Now this to stand is basically brought to a place of holding one's position. It's not taking ground necessarily. It's not, it's not strategizing yourself, but it's just holding your position. Paul is not calling believers to attack the devil or advance against him necessarily. They are only to stand, to hold territory that Christ ultimately and his body, the church has already conquered. You've been placed in uh, this, this world in a place, in a sphere of influence, and God is calling you to stand that place, to stay there, to withstand the schemes of the devil, and to be an influence as God calls you to. Now, I want to take a minute and actually look at the character of our enemy. I think it's important to know your enemy, as it were. And so I think we need to look at the character of Satan. If most of this text is about this, this spiritual warfare against this enemy that we don't see or feel or touch or smell, but yet as we know is there, there's an inner knowing that there is this evil out there, this evil that is, is, is really out for my soul. I think we need to understand the character of this. And I think C.S. Lewis put it very well when he says, humanity falls into two equal and opposite errors concerning the devil. Either they take him altogether too seriously or they do not take him seriously enough. And so I just want to take a sober look and a sober thought at Satan. Who is this guy, the devil? Who is the enemy? Who is the devil? Who are we defending against? Well, in John, in 1 John chapter 3, 8, he's identified as one who has sinned from the beginning. He has sinned from the beginning. That from the beginning of mankind, there has been this evil. There has been this anti-God, this anti-heart and character of God who has been after us from the beginning. Also in the, in the Gospels, Jesus says that the devil is, has nothing to do with the truth because the truth is not in him. There's no truth in him. Um, Really, the Greek 
term of that, the truth, or that, I mean, the devil is actually slander. He's a slander. He's, there's no truth in him. There's no purity in him. He, he doesn't pursue those things, but he's a slander. He's one who tears down. In John chapter eight, verse 44, he is a liar and the father of lies. From the beginning, he's been a liar. He has sinned and he is the father of those lies. And also John in Revelation chapter 12 and 20, John identifies the devil as Satan, who is the deceiver of the whole world. This, this deceiver also means adversary. He's an adversary. He's against us, not, not for anything, but rather anti-everything. He is anti what God has created, and he has to be anti everything because God created all of this reality. Creation is good in the eyes of God. What he did with us, making us, and, and all of reality, like past, present, and future, God has done, and, and it's good in his eyes. And so the devil has to be anti all those things and constantly on a pursuit of destruction to destroy what God has done. So in seeing who the enemy is this morning, as looking at this real quickly, we must always be cognizant that the strategies or schemes of the devil are based on lies and are designed to, de- designed to deceive us as the believers. That's what they're designed to do. And so without the armor of God, if we looked at putting on the armor of God, well, a Christian without the armor of God, it is certain that that believer could not stand against those deceived in those strategies. They would be defeated by those schemes of the devil. You guys, the fact is that they've been effective for thousands of years. You go all the way back to, to the, the first kind of technical sin after the fall, Adam and Eve, or I mean, uh, Cain and Abel. What was the basis of that? It was shame. It was a lie. It was, Cain, you're not good enough. Like your, your, your offering is not of the right heart. It's not good enough. God even warned him, hey, sin is crouching at the door, Cain. Like it's coming for you. That shame is there. That, that lie is there. And yet he fell into it. And so the fact is a Christian without the armor of God, Right, the opposite of what we're reading here, the opposite of what we're pursuing is one that would be defeated, is one that could not stand against this physical and spiritual warfare that we're up against. In a sense, if we go to a war, a physical war that our world has seen, um, we want men of iron dukes and iron wills. But see, God wants saints of iron. He wants saints of iron, men and women who are willing to stand for what is right, willing to stand for their savior, willing to stand for truth amidst a world of lies. So moving on, verses 12 through 13 brings my next point. We must acknowledge the nature of the spiritual battle we are in. We must acknowledge the nature of the spiritual battle we are in. The believer's struggle is not against human beings composed of flesh and blood. We have to get that straight. It's not against each other, but it's a spiritual battle against spiritual enemies who Paul lists as the evil rulers and authorities. He lays that out for us, that it is not against each other that it's not against even the opposite political view as you. The fact is that you and I as believers, we're in this battle together and we are not the enemy, but we are joined together looking at the evil rulers and authorities as Paul lays out here. See, if Christians live, if Christians lived in such a way that acknowledges our true enemy as the devil and these spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places that Paul lays out, then that would allow us to stop fighting with each other on temporal simple issues and focus our attention on an enemy that wants to literally destroy our eternal souls. Let that be sobering for a man. Let that sink in, especially after a year like this, where there's been so much division and so lack of unity. We need to push forward as Christians, understanding what the true enemy is. 
The truth is, Christians, we live in a world that has a spiritual hostility towards us and places us in constant tension. The world wants us to be at tension with each other. The world wants us to fight and not look at our common enemy, not look at the, the true deceiver, the true destroyer of our souls. But see, we will always be in that tension, Christians, and that's where we need to mature. That's where we need to grow. That's where we need to look at that tension as not necessarily a bad thing, because the fact is that Jesus stood in that tension. Hostility towards the, like what we believe as Christians, it'll always be there. First John chapter five nineteen says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Second Corinthians 4, 4, in their case, uh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, in scripture, we see that this this world power, these evil of, of the heavenly places, these principalities and powers that Paul is laying out, they are against us. And so they're against us to fight each other, against us to struggle over menial, just, just like things that, that will pass away. But see, Jesus shows us in his example that he stepped into that tension, yet keeping his focus on kingdom-minded things, on heavenly things. See, to stand firm, we have to look to Jesus. We have to look to his example. We must stand in the tension of living in this life in a world system that will constantly be against us and our fundamental beliefs. Like Jesus, we must stand firm in the tension of accepting people as created human beings, but not always agreeing with them. There's a tension there, right? In today's world, you either accept me and agree with me or you don't. But that's not, that's a fallacy. That's not truth. As Christians, we are called to accept people, but not necessarily agree. (laughs) And that's okay. The beautiful thing about accepting you as a human is that now we have a common ground. We are both created beings before God. But see, not agreeing, that causes us to be in that tension and to have a conversation and actually walk with each other and try to understand each other and try to grow and mature, loving each other through that. That's a tension. We see Jesus doing that over and over again. We need to live in that tension of walking in truth and love. Walking in truth and love, we see that in Jesus, that he constantly spoke truth. He called out sin. He said, that tree over there is an apple tree. He judged it and he judged sin in the same way, but he did it constantly in love. We're to walk in that same way, calling sin out, telling our friends that that path is evil. That path will lead you to destruction, but see doing it in love and the, love, the, right, the right heart, right? not out of anger or bitterness, but in the right heart of leading that person back to repentance and back to Jesus. The tension of the flesh and spirit. Jesus becoming fully man, walked in the flesh, but yet constantly walked in the spirit. And isn't that a struggle for you and I? I am in the flesh, constantly struggling with my laziness, my lusts, my, my struggles as a man, but yet constantly desiring to walk in the spirit, to be led by the spirit of God. We need to be in that tension of loving our enemies, loving our enemies, loving those who de- we despise, loving those who have such a counter belief system or ideology than I do. I need to love those people. We need to be in that struggle, that tension of being lights in a dark world, being lights in a dark world, leading people back to salvation, leading people away from danger. And the last one, showing those around us that Jesus is better than anything else in this life and that they are defined by God alone. Talk about tension. You, got, you talk to somebody in today's world and you say, you are not defined by your sexual orientation. You are not defined by what pronoun you use. You are defined because you are created in the image of the living God. Boy, that is, that's tension today. 
But you guys see that's truth and that's love, wanting to lead somebody to a place, lead them out of that battle where literally there's an enemy telling them that, no, you're defined by this or that. Be conformed to this world and let me show you that, that there's more than Jesus. But the fact is we need to show this world that no, Jesus is it. And we need to be in that tension, Christians. See, at times the spiritual warfare and tension in which we find ourselves may be difficult and frightening. It's hard. I've been a youth pastor for 15 years and you try to push a kid out of their comfort zone on a mission trip or, or maybe they want to talk to a friend about Jesus and you encourage them to do that, man. You, watch, you just watch fear strike over them. But see, even though it's difficult and frightening, however that is, if we continue to look to Jesus and place his armor on each day, we can know in the midst of the hardship and tension, there is victory. First John 4, 4 says, the one who is in you, Jesus, is greater than the one, Satan, who is in the world. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And then John 16, 33, Jesus says that he, that these things to you, that in me you have peace and the world that you have tribula tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. See, amidst of this battle, this tension that we find ourselves in, you guys, there's victory because Jesus has been victorious. Now we kind of get into the heart of this text as Paul, I just see him writing this, wanting to get to verses 14 through 18, just the, the armor of God, wanting to equip and encourage the, the saints, the Christians in Ephesus. So this brings me to my third point, standing with the armor as we keep our eyes on Jesus. Standing with the armor as we keep our eyes on Jesus. See, so you and I probably will never be chained to a Roman centurion. You and I, maybe if you went to Sunday school or you watched VeggieTales or what's in the Bible, you, you understand the, 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 the picture that Paul paints here, looking at a Roman soldier's outfit and his armor. But see, I think it's so much more to us today as we look to Jesus. Because I think even as Paul was laying out the armor of God, he also was looking to Jesus and seeing how Jesus like, equipped us and was an example to us to put on this armor each and every day. So the first one that Paul lays out, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Our God and Savior Jesus is truth. He is the genuine and the only avenue to salvation. That's, that right there is truth. It doesn't preach well in today's world. You tell people there's, or people want to say there's multiple ways to, G, to salvation. There's multiple ways to heaven. When the fact is, no, Jesus is the genuine article. He is the only way to salvation. In a world of counterfeit and lies, we must know and fasten the truth of scripture on our hearts and minds. This must be fastened around who we are. First John 5, 5 verse 6 says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. This is Jesus' testimony. This is what we preach as Christians. This is the truth that we need to live by. The next one is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Jesus showed us the way to be right before God and ultimately gave us a way by his sacrifice on the cross. See, Jesus, though he was fully God, becoming fully man, remained righteous. He remained in a right place before God. But then when he died on that cross, he took our sin and our shame and our brokenness and our separation from God that made us unrighteous. 
and then forgave us. And when we accept that salvation, we now become righteous before God. We become right before God. So we put on this breastplate of righteousness, understanding that because of what Jesus did on that cross, I am now right before God. Philippians chapter three, verses nine and 10 says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. This symbolist, the symbolism of being like Jesus is, is something we need to take on as reality, not just a thought or a concept, but knowing and understanding that I take on Jesus's righteousness because what he did was real and true. The next one is the gospel of peace. Paul puts this as our sandals, our foundation, our cleats, as it were, to hold that ground is the gospel of peace. Through the gospel of Jesus, we not only have the peace of salvation, but we also have the fundamental peace that surpasses all injustice, uncertainty, and death we encounter in this life. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, the gospel is what gives us foundation, guys. What Jesus did as he lived and as he preached and as he gave us the true character manifestation of God. The fact is like, as he did those things, we stand firm in that truth. And it's, it's in a sense, our foundation. It's our cleats that hold us there. It's a beautiful gospel that we get to follow in. The next one is the shield of faith. Our belief, our worship, and our faith in Jesus constructs our worldview and what we base our life on. Our worldview acts like a shield or a barrier around us. What are our values, our convictions, and how we view the meaning of this life? Ultimately, where your faith is, there your purpose of life is also. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 6 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in his, in the beloved. The shield of faith, it defines in a sense, your worldview, your ideology, where your theology lays and it does, it builds this kind of barrier around you so that you can in a sense reflect or, or kind of bat away the false theologies, the progressive theologies that are kind of tearing at our fundamental beliefs of who Jesus is and what our, our call is here on earth. The helmet of salvation is the next one. Paul said in Romans 12 verse two that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The salvation we enter into with Jesus is not just a spiritual salvation, but a transformation from death to life. I believe as we enter in the salvation with Jesus, we put on that helmet of salvation as it were, that it's not just a spiritual one, but it's also a physical one, being conformed, being transformed to be more like Jesus than less like the world. Romans chapter six, verse 13 says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself as God, to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. The last actual piece is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We look to Jesus as the physical manifestation of God's character and word to humanity. We need to desperately hold tight to Jesus and the word of God as if we are in a battle to the death and his word is our only weapon of defense. <laughs> we need to hold tight to who Jesus is. We need to hold tight to what Jesus said, the way he lived, his example to us, what he's given us from the cross. We need to hold tight to that as if it's literally 
the sword that you're holding onto that's going to defend your life in the midst of this battle. First John chapter one, verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And the last piece to this armor, which I think is overlooked at times, but I think the most important one is praying at all times in the spirit. If this is a spiritual battle, if we are entering into this spiritual warfare, then we need to spiritually be on our knees. We need to literally be in a place of prayer before the Lord always. Jesus was constantly showing us what a person of prayer is and how impactful in the battle we can be if we stay in constant contact with God and allow the spirit to direct our steps. Jesus was constantly showing us this and we see this all through scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This idea of this armor of God kind of sums up with, remember to pray. (laughs) You can put on these pieces of armor, but if you're not praying, staying in contact with God, then there's going to be something missing. It's like being in the battlefield and not knowing what your general's calls are, not knowing what your orders are as a soldier. And you're just kind of running around shooting wildly (laughs) or swinging a sword, however you want to look at it. But see, we are connected with the Lord. So we, in a sense, know the call, know the orders. Now, as Paul ends this little section of scripture in verses 18 through 20, he says to that end, right? He wants us to to kind of cap this, to, to kind of understand what he's saying here. So in conclusion, my point is in this battle, we must stay awake, be about the church and live out the calling God has given you. We must stay awake, be about the church and live out the calling that God is giving you personally. Paul concludes this section of the letter by laying out instructions for us to be continually successful in the battle we all face. Paul warns us to stay awake. As he says to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Just as if we were on the battlefield or in some type of fight or flight situation, you would not want to be caught asleep. That's how you die. (laughs) I mean, if you walk into some type of battle, some type of arena, some type of fight, and you're not on guard. You're not ready for the next hit. That's where that left hook comes out of nowhere and clocks you. For the greatest chance of survival, you would want to be prepared for that fight. Have a battle plan and be in the right mindset for the task ahead of you. Be in the right place. Christians, we must keep alert and have our eyes wide open to what is happening in the world God has put in you, put you in. We have to understand, be, be wise Walk with wisdom and knowledge, understanding what the times are, what's happening around you, church. Let's continue to be wise, be ready for the battle. It's, it's almost like an anticipation for God to move and for God to move you. And it's not like, oh, I'm just waiting on God. So I'm sitting on my couch with a bag of Cheetos. No, you are in like ambush readiness. I don't know if you ever played some type of sport where you're like ready to ambush, but you, there's tension, there's adrenaline. You're just waiting for that opportunity to move. And God is looking for saints, I believe, that are ready to move. Paul also ends with an encouragement to be about the Christians and the church body in your life. To be about other Christians, be about this thing, the body of Christ. He says they're making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Praying for your church, praying for your pastors, praying for the missionaries that you know. We are all in this battle together. We are the body and the bride of Christ and dwelt with the spirit of God and given the task of showing this world the character and the salvation of Jesus. That is our our call. That's our orders. Jesus in Matthew chapter five calls us the salt and the light of the world. And I personally think that we preserve like salt and we shine like light so much more efficiently 
when we are praying together, church, and we are in unity together. Paul's calling and example was clear as he finishes this with saying, the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul understood perfectly well his calling and walked the line all the way to his death. He knew the calling on his life. He knew the purpose of him being here on earth and he walked it all the way to his death, all the way to Rome. He knew what the battle plans were for him and what God was calling him to do with with everything that he was. He was prepared. He was equipped and ready for whatever whatever the battle brought his way. I believe that Paul wrote these words to encourage us and embolden us, the church, to seek out the Father, to seek out the Spirit, and to be in a place of readiness as the Spirit calls us to that specific role, that place, that purpose he has for you. I also see where we as the church have very different callings and places that God wants us to be. But I also see, and I also believe that we have a common calling to be ambassadors of Jesus, right? I know Paul gave us that example and Paul lived that out. And I know that each one of us are called to different things within Christ and within our our means. But I also believe that we, each and every one of us are called to be an ambassador of Jesus. We're called to tell people, to show people, to live it out so that people want to know about our savior. I also believe that God has made you and equipped you for the task of leading those lost souls that God has put in your life to the God that created them. I believe he's equipped you. It's scary to witness. It's scary to tell people about Jesus, but I believe God has put those people in your life for a reason. He's equipped you to tell them about him. Your and my orders for the battle are simple and yet they hold eternal impact church. They really do. And so ending this sermon, I got a couple applications for you so that you can look at a text like this. You can read through it. You can feel encouraged. You can feel convicted, but then you can start putting some things to practice even today. First one, you guys, is start to see yourself, your life, your daily actions, not just through a physical lens, but also through a spiritual lens. Start to see the world that you live in, not just physically, not just through the eyes of social media or the news outlets, but look through the the lens of God. Look through the idea that this is a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual war. You are not just a physical person, but you have an eternal soul, spiritual soul that God is calling. Look at the world through those lens. See what changes. See what God wants you to see. See what God wants you to grow and mature in those ways. Number two, daily submit yourself before the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit to use you in the spiritual battle. This is a hard one for a lot of modern day evangelical churches. It is, right? It's, a lot, it's hard for Christians to pray and ask the spirit to use them, to ask the spirit to do things in them that, that, that may feel weird, may be different, may be even against some of their convictions. But see, the spirit moves in amazing and wonderful ways and, they, and the spirit will use you, but you have to daily submit yourself before him. And this, you guys, this is simple ways. This is is reading the word of God, but it's, it's also daily points of Sabbath, daily silence and solitude before the Lord, just stopping, just quieting yourself and saying, Lord, I'm everywhere else. My mind is all over the place, but you're right here with me. Help my heart, my mind to connect to yours. What are you, what are you calling me to do right now? What, what, do you, what do you want from me right now, Lord? And it's amazing how, how little by little we become more sensitive to the spirit. And we start acting more in the spirit and less in the flesh. Number three, put on the armor of God every day. You knew this one was coming. This is straight up Sunday school. Put on the full armor of God every day. Now, you guys, this is us again, looking to Jesus, 
growing in the habits that draw us closer to him and cutting away the habits that take us away from him. Right? It's a simple truth. It's simple fundamental truth of, of growing closer to Jesus is just growing those habits and those, those, those just acts in our life that, that bring us closer to him and cutting away the sins and, the, and just really the, the chaff, <laughs> the, the things that just take us away from him. And also you guys just know that as you put on, on this armor of God, you will be enabled to stand in those tension points that we talked about and the daily battle that we're pulled into. As you daily put on this armor of God, you will find yourself more in those tension points, or maybe you'll just be aware of those tension points more. But see, you'll be more equipped to stand within those. You'll be more equipped to look like Jesus in the midst of a real, some real bad situations sometimes. But see, the fact is God will use you as you walk in the spirit, as you're covered with the armor of God in those tension points to bring glory to him. And the last one, yeah, is, is wake up church. Our savior is Lord over all the universe. <laughs> he has defeated Satan, sin, and death. He will, he will and is supreme over heaven and earth. His will, his purpose is, is done. It is uh, forever. And nothing in heaven or earth will ever be able to for, for, thwart that, <laughs> take away from that. You guys, let us live each day as if we're serving in an army, we're serving in a battle for, for the God of the universe, the God that has made a way for us. Hmm. All right, church. Thank you so much for listening to this. I hope this encourages you. I hope this just pushes you. I hope this convicts you. And I hope this just really just brings you the courage to live daily for Jesus as we enter into 2021. Father, we thank you so much again just for what you're doing here. Lord, give us just the, the words to speak, the the sensitivity to move in the spirit as we read a scripture like this and we move into our daily lives. God, I thank you so much for how powerful your word is, that it truly is a two-edged sword that pierces the hearts and the minds of, of believers. God, grow us and mature us from this. Let us glorify you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.